Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Bill Hall. For more on Bill, check out BillHallBowling.com. Bill also, of course, has a tri-grip instructional videos if you're a pro shop operator and looking to get into doing the tri-grip drilling Great stuff with that. Uh, Bill does coaching down there. He's down at Texas Station in Las Vegas, so you can look him up there. Check out BillHallBowling.com, and there's all sorts of great ways to get in touch with Bill. If you're looking for maybe a lesson, looking to get some equipment drilled, check him out at uh, Texas Station. So, Bill, Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me today. Well, Tim, thanks for having me back. It's been a while, and I appreciate you uh, giving me the time to be on your show. Of course. I mean, lots of news coming out over the last uh, couple weeks regarding the 2017 USBC Open Championships. Of course, everything we're talking about is going to be the same for this year. Every rule that you know is the same for 2016 in Reno. But in 2017 in Las Vegas, lots of changes. So let's begin, I guess, ultimately, Bill, with the first change, which is going to three divisions for team, the 210 and above team the standard is 181 to 209 and the classified is 180 and below which that hasn't really changed so give me your thoughts on that and where you th- if you think that was even necessary well actually i do think it's necessary because there's a lot of people let's just be honest about it that go and bowl these tournaments and they go every year and but they don't bowl on more difficult conditions at home. Let's just call it what it is. They bowl on the China or the recreational condition. So they can go and to a U.S. Open type or U.S. Open Championship or USBC Championship, and they can average 30 pins less than what they do at home because there's just that much more forgiveness when you bowl on a recreational condition. So my thought is this. A player that goes, most teams, and I know this is going to stir up a little controversy, and it's not meant to, but, you know, I happen to have worked one of the USBC tournaments, and I can honestly say only about 3% 
of the teams that go there, go there with a legitimate chance of winning the team championship or are even prepared for that. The vast majority go strictly for brackets. They load up three or four on a team or on a companion team, and they're basically more interested in carving the lanes out for the brackets. Um, the rest to go on a bowling vacation. So, you know, everybody's got their reason for going. But here's a thought. There seems to be a lot of worry, and I've seen a lot of posts in different social media sites about, oh, no, USBC just invited sandbagging. So here's what you do. This next year, nobody, uh, this next year, what people are going to do is establish an average. Let's say they're averaging 220 at home. And they go to the USBC this year and they average 185. Then the following year, they should be in the 185 category because their average that they're establishing is more on a more legitimate condition. Not only that, a player isn't going to go in there and spend all this money on brackets and then throw away their money. So what they should do is not only start it this year on putting their average together to tell them where their standings are the following year, it should become a composite. So if this year you're averaging 185, and then the 2017 you average 220, let's just say, so you'd be in the 200 uh, category. But this is something that needs to happen. We need to stop all this sandbagging from people going out there because it does happen. And people are going to be bowling on something that they are not familiar with. And again, it won't be a recreational condition. So many of them, their pens will fall and, or their averages will fall. So, you know, they should be rated on what they're bowling on. Last I knew, an average should be based on different oil patterns, not the same one that you bowl on every week or on a recreational condition. If you're bowling on a recreational, recreational condition, I think a lot of people that are somewhat informed no, they're not actually a 240 average player. Well, Bill, and you alluded to it. You helped out down at uh, Baton Rouge at the USBC Open Championships, which actually, as I remember correctly, is one of the more challenging patterns there. Uh, so talk about when you had teams coming through, how hard is it to be honest with guys, you know, frankly, that, like you said, aren't in that 2 or 3% that are there, and, and maybe they're trying to improve their game, and they want to, they still want to score well, but realistically... I mean, they know that they're not going to win, but maybe for them, even just a, a great score would be shooting 3,100 for their team. Well, and that's where, you know, what you really tried to do is, you, and this is where you tried to get people over their fears. And mainly, usually when you're going out to carve an oil pattern, you're going to carve the outside or dry up the outside first. Well, there's a lot of players that they're a little bit leery of sliding anywhere on, you know, anywhere left of, well, I'm sorry, if you're right-handed. Uh, anywhere right at the fourth fourth diamond or the twenty board, so you had to kind of get them into getting up the lane and get, trusting their shape. It wasn't easy, but you know what? There were a lot of players that did listen and they did go there with the thought of at least let's gain some knowledge. So even if we don't do anything this year, maybe we as a team can do much better later on and come together as a group. And you know, there were some that were um, let's just say negative towards having to do something that they weren't used to. Uh, but, you know, that's part of bowling. I mean, you're gonna, I have, everyone has their favorite deal. I mean, I would love to see a fourth arrow fallback. I haven't seen one in 20 years. 
but that happened to be my favorite type of pattern to bowl on. So you have to accept that you're going to be on different things, and you're going to have to accept that the environment that you have at home is not going to is not really a competitive environment. It's a recreational environment. So it really starts with the attitude of the player and the player understanding that there's more to the actual sport side of bowling rather than the recreational side that you see more at home than anything else. Well, and you talk about um, we talk about sandbagging and we talk about even the typical house patterns. But all typical house patterns don't play the same, and I think that's where sometimes things get lost as well, where I can go out and average you know, 15 or 20 pins difference based on just a different house pattern, whether the lane topography, whether it's old, whether it's wood, whether it's this, whether it's that. Is there anything that can be done to that? Because I can just say, you know what, I'm going to bowl a league at this house and average 200 and put me in that middle division, that, you know, one, that standard division, when I can go up the road 20 miles and I can average 220. Well, it's been, you know, the argument for many, many years, and it's been more behind the scenes than out in the public, is each bowling alley should have a, a slope rating, just like a golf course, and just like the rate, they actually have ratings from uh, football fields as to how, look good the, how good the condition is of the field, whether it be a synthetic uh, play, playing field, grass, or outdoor, indoor. So, you know, we need to do that. We have kind of basically uh, abandoned the things that we really should be focused on. And we should at least start talking about, you know, you go and bowl a league, here's uh, a flatter pattern. And I know people that bowl on a lot of leagues, that they don't bowl on a house condition. They bowl on more legitimate conditions. And when they go to bowl something, you know, like the recreational, their numbers jump. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But we need to start giving everything a rating, and especially the condition of the bowling alley. It's ridiculous that you can put down a synthetic lane and expect it to be in good condition 20 years later. They're not built to last that long, and I've got plenty of photos and videos that prove that they are really, really beat up. And the fact is, the most proprietors basically just try and cover the surface with oil to make it look pretty. But still, it's not a pattern that they're used to. And that's one thing that people uh, find is when they go to different places. You go to a place like here in Las Vegas, we're very lucky. Most of the bowling alleys here have pretty much newer surfaces. There's only a few that have older surfaces. But, you know, stations, casinos, they redo their lanes a little bit at a time, basically in a four-year cycle. Like this year, replace the heads. Next year, replace the mid lane. Last, the following year, replace the panel in the back and then possibly the pin deck. Well, there's not a lot of places that do that anymore. So when we have an oil pattern here, we definitely get a more true characteristic versus somebody that's put an oil pattern on a surface that's been 20 years since it's been replaced. Bill, and you talk about oil patterns, that's one of the major changes, too, moving forward after 2016, is that the pattern will not be released. USBC was doing, you know, kind of some opening shows where they would bring in experts to talk about how to play the pattern. They were doing all sorts of webcasts with some of the premier teams and singles and doubles and all events, champions of past and et cetera. They're not going to be doing that anymore. Do you? I see a lot of people up in arms over that. Are you making that out as big of a deal as what it really is? 
Actually, no, I'm, I would rather that they don't because there's so many people that when they so-called copy the pattern, we're back to where we just, the subject we just left is the topography or the condition of the surface of the lane. Um, that they go there, they're expecting one thing and they absolutely blow up because it doesn't play like they did at home. So you know what? The key word here is expectations. Bowlers cannot go into a different bowling alley than what they bowl on and expect and have the expectation that a pattern is going to play the same in one place as it does another. So for me, it's good that they're getting rid of that. You know what? They're, as Harry Golden, God bless him, uh, and rest in peace, Harry, he always said, let your ball be your guide, and that's actually how it should be. Well, and as um, as we also talk here, you also, as a guy who's a coach, I mean, the other the argument to that is, Bill, that, well, this is just going to mean I'm going to have to spend more money on sending more equipment down. I'm going to have to get stuff drilled at the, you know, at the ball uh, shops on site down there, et cetera, et cetera. When my thought is I'm in the same boat as you, my thought is, well, I bring my six pieces and they're all going to be pretty varied anyways, and I have to make those work, whether that's hand position, whether that's playing a different part of the lane. Isn't that how most people should see it? Uh, in my opinion, yes. I mean, we've become so dependent that we expect the bowling ball to be our answer, and we've kind of left the players, the players actually left themselves in the dark and to the outside of our community. The players basically lost respect because everybody is talking about the piece of equipment, but nobody's talking about somebody's talent. It's really quite sad when you see it and you talk to people or just slightly or lightly involved in bowling, they're they're constantly wondering why we're talking about something other than the ability of the player. Well, Bill, and that leads me to, I guess, something that's a little bit off topic, but when we got together over the summer, you had put together a, a shot, a screenshot of a couple bowlers, and why don't you talk about that and just kind of how what you're alluding to of how bowling hasn't really changed as much as people want to say bowling's changed, bowling this, bowling that, we're changing and evolving over 70 years. It really hasn't. Okay, uh, let's go with that. In about 1980 is when I went out on the pro tour and did, started coaching players and drilling bowling balls and, you know, all that fun stuff. Well, I was chastised and beaten up for talking about having a right hand, uh, a, bowling shoulder lower than the other bowling shoulder. Now, that was 35 years ago, and believe me, I got beat up by a lot of people. You can't say that. You can't do this. But yet now we're talking about having a bowling shoulder lower than the other shoulder. So what I did is I went back and looked in my archives. I found a film of Eddie Lebansky, who, great player, used only his middle finger and his thumb, and I carved him out of a film of his release point and body position at the foul line. Well, then I took Wes Malott and did the same thing with him. Now, the one from Eddie Lebansky was 1955, the film, and the one for Wes Malott was 2010, and I carved him out of the video right on top in the same thing, release point and body position. Then I laid them on top of each other in, in an overlay, and you would not be, you would be surprised that body position is identical 55 years apart from each other and the body position is identical it was and as uh as witness to that bill you showed me that when i was down there and exactly you're exactly right and that's one thing it seems like coaching has changed and people are but it's all about body position for us um back to the usbc a little bit the professionals 
there's always been rules and regulations on professionals and how they could bowl, how many could bowl on a team, et cetera, et cetera. Now, basically, it's going to be free game. You're, you can bowl. You can be bowling next to Pete Weber, Wes Malott, like you mentioned, et cetera, as long as they follow the rules. I'm guessing you're in favor of that as well. Absolutely. I mean, you got a lot of people that go around chirping, and, you know, this may sound to offend some people, but they're chirping, pounding their chest. You know, hey, I could beat those guys on TV. They're not that good. Meanwhile, they're bull- the guys on TV are, are bowling on a little bit more difficult pattern, and you're bowling on a recreational condition. So you know what? You've always said that you can step up and beat these people. Well, here's going to be your chance. There's no more excuse of, well, you know, I made more money at working my job than I would for professional bowling. So you know what? There shouldn't be any reason to fear them. You, so many players over the years have told me how they could beat these guys. Well, now's your chance, and we're going to find out. Bill, we hit on this a few minutes ago, but let's kind of go back to talking about the pattern being kind of kept in secret behind, you know, not being released ahead of time. And, of course, there's the people that are going to say, well, yeah, there's always going to be people like it. There's, you know, the old adage of the secret shot from Wisconsin back when the ABC was back in Milwaukee, and everyone in Wisconsin had the shot before anyone else, and they got to practice on it, and yada, yada, yada. You know, talk about that from a lane man's perspective and someone out on tour about how you're able to really protect the shot and keep it behind closed doors so that you can protect the integrity of the tournament. Well, you know, before the discussion was wide open because everybody knew what it was, so all the theories would come out. And now with the discrepancy or the secrecy that's going to be in the background, bowlers are going to be a lot less, uh, let's say, let's say forthcoming with sharing information. They're going to let the other players go out there and find out what they had to find out on their own. So to me, it's going to raise the level of competitiveness. And if I were a player going out and bowled long before somebody else, I'd tell them, you know what, when you go there, you'll have to figure it out just like we did. All right. Well, great stuff, Bill O'Neill. Hey, is there anything, Bill, I know we've chatted a lot about things, coaching one of the, you know one of your your things you're doing down there like you said texas station what's someone for a bowler you know we're about eight ten weeks in the league somewhere around there and we're just struggling and it could be one week it could be spares the next week it could be we're not hitting our target the next week we feel our timings off what's one thing that maybe we can do and you can help a bowler in that 185 range to improve you know not all those because you want to work on one of them <laughs> what what of those would you, you say to work on first um, one of the things that I really do with a lot of players is I don't move them up and back on the approach, but what works really well is to put a player on the approach and just tell them, go whatever you think your approach speed is, don't worry about where the ball is going, don't worry about anything, but cut that foot speed in half and get a feel, because 99.9% of this game is feel. And if you don't know what the feel is at that point, you got to cut down the speed, don't care about where it's going. Start with a half-speed approach. Throw about a half a game that way. Then pick up speed a little bit. Throw another half a game that way. And then finally, just take one game and throw a normal speed until you start having the feel of the body the way you want it to be. The only way to do that is to retrain the feel and to get out there and throw some practice games. And that was going to be my next part, is you're probably telling them, well, if you don't feel like you're throwing it well or you don't feel like there's something missing you need to get in and practice get in see a coach like yourself and maybe even check your fit i know that's another thing sometimes people we don't get our fit checked enough so 
all of those are important keys as far as if we want to improve our game and maybe something isn't working quite so well and, and it could just be something so simple as our fit. It absolutely can. Actually, I just went through a change with my hand. A good friend, and One of the things I do know is I can fit a hand really well, but I can't fit my own. <laughs> I overanalyze it when it's mine. But a good friend of mine, Billy Doss, just measured up my hand, you know, and the grip feels good again. And uh, what happened is, as I got older, my hand, you know, shrank a little bit, and I didn't adjust the span to it. And he made some small pitch changes and made the span just slightly shorter, and now it feels good again. But before that, it was a big struggle. It didn't even feel like my bowling ball. Great stuff, Bill. And I have to remind everyone, check out BowlingThisMonth.com bowling's most trusted technical resource over 20 plus years subscriptions less than a cup of coffee a month where can you go wrong there lots of great articles ball reviews all sorts of fun stuff coaching tips everything you need right there bowlingthismonth.com check it out bill semsrat and all the writers there that he has help him out do a great job again bowlingthismonth.com awesome stuff billy hall thanks for joining me tonight and helping add some perspective on all the changes going on with the usbc open Thank you so much, Tim, and I really do appreciate you giving me the time.